everyone. We enjoy worshiping with you this morning. We always enjoy coming to Horton Baptist Church. It's like a home away from home for us. We wouldn't, be mind, wouldn't mind being considered honorary members of Horton Baptist Church. Whatever that would look like, we'd be happy to do that. Thank you for always giving us a warm welcome. Uh, we got up early this morning and someone said to get up with the chickens, which we do every morning. Because the cape on the chicken, you knew that, right? All right, who did not know that? Uh, so, okay, now you do. Aren't you glad you came to church today to learn about a cape on the chicken? Yeah. We're glad to be here today. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28. You should have uh, some notes in front of you. I encourage you to take a few notes to help maybe um, assimilate and remember what we're talking about this morning. But I want to begin in Matthew 28 and verses 16 through uh, 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all ethnos, all ethnic groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, instructing them to observe, to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It is not optional and is not debatable that God has called us, commissioned us to make disciples of all nations. A disciple in the general sense means a learner, a follower, a devotee, some with affection, obedience, and devotion, service to the one that they're, they're imitating. Biblically, a disciple of Christ is someone who knows Christ as their Savior, has identified with him and his people through baptism, is learning all that he wants him to do and loves him, is devoted to him, life centered around him, to obey him, to learn about him, and dependent upon him. That's a follower of Christ. And we are to make them. The, the words in the active, we're to make disciples of all nations. We're to make followers of Jesus. And it gives us here the plan of how you do that. The main verb here is to make disciple, to make a disciple of Christ and to go make them. According, of course, with the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and the presence of Christ followed, promised to us, we're to make disciples of, of, of all nations. We do that by going and by baptizing and by teaching. Those are participles. Got an English lesson this morning. We go that by going and by baptizing, by teaching, we make disciples. A disciple is a believer in Jesus, and we are to, in the process of going, make them, which implies it's not limited to people getting saved at church. That would be okay, and I'm happy for that. But in the process of going, we make disciples. We connect with people outside the walls of our church relationship with people and find a way to connect with them and build a friendship with them and share Christ with them. We do it in the process of going, we make a disciple. And now this new believer who's a disciple, we're to baptize them and identify them through baptism with Christ and his people. And we're told to systematically instruct them, the word teach here is to systematically invest in them line upon line, precept upon precept, so they would know what God wants them to do. And to love Jesus, to follow him, to serve him, to have their life centered around him so they can go make a disciple of someone else. 
So the Great Commission is evangelization, identification through baptism, instruction, and ultimately replication so that we repeat that with other people. That's how the gospel came to you and I after the disciples got this commission over 2,000 years ago. And it's still intact for today. We were in a church a few weeks ago, and so I talked about revitalizing a church, how in Revelation 2, Jesus longs to breathe new life into the church at Ephesus. If they would repent and go back and do the first works and, and love one another again. And he said, I don't think that's for today. I said, what? <laughs> the culture's against us. Of course it is. It's always been. It's been worse. It will get worse. It's been better. But the culture's always, he said, well, that's just not for, we're just a hunker down to Jesus. I said, how do you graciously refute that? Well, I did. <laughs> but this is till the end of the age. This is, the, this is still valid for today and not even debatable. This is a commission to command by our resurrected Savior. This is how he builds his church. You and I making disciples, bringing the gospel to people, then putting their faith in Christ, identifying them with the local church, and teaching them how to go do that with someone else. That's the replicating nature of the Great Commission. And it's not just for your pastors. Now, you know that, right? They probably told you that. Um, probably often. Now, they're to do the work of an evangelist. They're to model it and exemplify it and equip you to do that. But if you know Jesus, you're to be a disciple maker and bring the gospel to people. And we need to know what that would look like. It's not debatable whether we should is what would that look like for me? So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9 to give an example from the life of Christ of how he brought the gospel to people, something that we could model. He told the disciples he would make them become fishers of men. And so it's a process of becoming like Jesus, watching what he did. We're going to pull some things out of the narrative in Matthew chapter 9 about how we can make disciples for him because we know we ought to be doing it. And sometimes doing it by guilt, sometimes not knowing what to do, but I think we can look into this narrative today, pull out some principles of how we can be disciple makers of bringing the gospel to people and seeing the identified in baptism and seeing them grow to be, be like Christ and doing that with someone else. So let's commit this to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, we're grateful to be here today in this place, to worship Christ, to to lift up his holy name, Father, to gather together as a local church to be equipped for the work of ministry. Father, Lord, we desperately need the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts today to help us understand your word of how to apply it to life, as Kurt prayed, uh, to that we'd be effective and fruitful in bringing the gospel to people to see many people come to Christ as Jesus continues to build his church. So, Father, we commit this time to you and ask you to bless it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, that's the word, that's the word preaching, pro, making proclamation of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, his his heart ached, for, his inner being ached for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are, the workers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest. Now, narratives can be tricky because there are no doctrinal commands to obey. We have to pull things out of here, so let's attempt to do that today. We think about the Great Commission, which must be a priority. It has to be personal. There has to be an element of resolve on our part, uh, a sense of relationship with people, and responsibility to be involved in it. So let's pull that out of here. Point number one from here, we have to see people as lost. He said he saw the multitudes. He saw them as sheep needing a shepherd. Now, among the people would have been people with different occupations, different ages of life, different levels of education, and different occupations. He saw them as spiritual beings needing a shepherd to, to guide them. Now, you and I interact with people all the time. We don't always see them as lost people. We see them as neighbors. And before Sandy and I were saved in our late 20s, not the 20s, we're not that old. We were religious, church-going people. And when we came to Christ, everything changed. Everything became new. We had a Bible to read and a church family to be involved in and a, a book to guide us in life. And now we saw people as saved and lost, not just moral and immoral, or smokers and non-smokers, or drinkers and non-drinkers, or churchgoers and non-churchgoers. We saw them as saved as lost. So that changed radically how we saw people. As a moralist Lutheran person, I viewed people by being better than me or worse than me, moral, immoral. Now we saw them as saved and lost, because I want you to turn with me uh, to, to uh, let's see here, I want to turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, Paul spoke about this. When we come to Christ, we're a new creation. Old things pass away. Everything is becoming new. And part of that newness is how we view lost people. Look at verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that the one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live, which would be us who know Christ, will no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? And now see people as spiritual beings, not just fleshly people that are neighbors, good neighbors, or bad neighbors. We now see them as spiritual beings with a soul They'll spend eternity someplace. That radically is part of the new creation in Christ. And when we first came to Christ, our eyes were open to the truth of the word, and we now saw people as saved or lost. Jesus saw the multitude, saw them as needing a shepherd. And I don't think we do that as much as we should. We have co-workers and neighbors people do business with, and they're either good or bad at what they do, and either kind or unkind. We don't see them as lost people. Jesus did. And we were first saved, our eyes were open, and we had a burden for you know, her sister and her husband. And so we shared Christ with them and were kicked out of their house for doing it, which was fine. And then a co-worker at UPS, that was kind of the PDI of the day. <laughs> and Terry rode with myself and another faith student and kind of like a captive audience, like Paul chained to prisoners in a Philippian jail. Now, who's a prisoner there? <laughs> Every four hours, they said, get me out of these chains. So he got the gospel to people, went to Caesar's household. You read Philippians chapter 1 through 4. And so Terry was in our, he was like a captive audience, but kind of. And so Terry got the gospel from Mark and I on the way to work every night. 
And Terry said, if what you're telling me is true, that salvation is by faith and, and not of works, then that would mean my pastor is wrong, and I can't bring myself to believe that. We pleaded with him. We don't know if he ever came to Christ. Maybe he did. We had a burden for him. And I kind of like shooting guns and things, and so during my college years at Faith, which was almost 40 years ago, what in the world? Uh, I would take my rifle up to the Polk County shooting range. My dad would mail me. My dad hand-loaded my 30-06 loads for me. He put them in the mail. It was legal back then. They weren't hazardous material. <laughs> and he'd load them with different uh, grains of powder, different bullets to see which one my gun liked. And you, you, you've done that. You, and it will like some. And so I tried it and tried it, and I met Dave Goldberg, who was the range master. I had a burden for Dave. And so I shared Christ with Dave, and uh, he rejected the gospel as far as I know, but I had a burden for him. He wasn't just a range master. He's a person needing Jesus. So Jesus looked upon the crowd, and he saw them and was burdened for them because they were without a shepherd. And so we have to see people as lost. That begins the journey of bringing the gospel, and we see them in their spiritual state. So whether you, where you work, where you do business, where you live, ask God to give you a heart. Now, Paul saw people that way when he went to Athens. He saw a city given over to idolatry. His heart ached within him. He saw them as, his spirit, as people needing a savior, and so we need to see people as lost. It will affect how you interact with people. It'll affect how hard you try to build a friendship with them. Because they're no longer just good neighbors or bad neighbors or they're, they're moral immoral or smokers or non-smokers. They're now people needing Jesus. That will have a great impact on your burden for them. As he saw them, his, the word compassion is bowels of mercy. His innards ached for them. Because you saw them as people needing a shepherd. So to see people with loss, it has to begin that way. Uh, our third youngest grandchild, Addie, uh, she was saved about a year and a half ago. And uh, it seems to be real. It seemed to be she understood it. And she's been witnessing on occasion and then goes back to playing with her toys. These random outbursts of the gospel. So my mom uh, passed away in April at the age of 93. She was a believer. And um, they were there for my, for my mom's funeral. And this was her conversation, Addie's, with her younger brother, Finn. Buddy, you just won't get to see great-grandma again if you don't ask Jesus to save you. Do you want to see her again, yes or no? That's not a bad way to start. Uh, I will see her again because I'm going to heaven. You aren't. You need to get saved. Well, all of it's true. She'll learn some tact later, but, but Finn needed to be blunt, you know. And then she went back to the toys. She sees her brother as not just a younger brother, but a lost person needing Jesus. Maybe we can emulate some of that in our life. Second of all, find a way to serve them. Unsaved people see them as lost and find a way to serve them. In this passage, in in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus served them. He went about proclaiming the gospel and doing good. And here, he healed them, other places, he met their needs, but he found a way to serve people. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a answer for many. He found a way to serve people. 
And it may sound kind of weird, but you are to serve unsaved people and find a way to serve them. Maybe later share Christ with them, but initially build a friendship, find a way to serve them. Somehow enter into their life, find out what they do, find a way to serve them that may lead to sharing Christ with them. I can prove it because Paul gave us that admonishment in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So go to 1 Corinthians 9. And it's an interesting passage, but I think it's a relevant point to Matthew chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul talks about his freedom in Christ, his liberty in Christ, not, not bound to any man. But in a sense, he did bind himself to the lost. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, uh, beginning in verse 19. For though I am free from all, from all men, under bondage to no man, there's liberty in Christ. I have made myself a servant for everyone. He bound himself to serve the unsaved, to that I might win them. To the Jews, I became like a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, lawless people, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God. He didn't live ungodly to win them, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, it became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that I might by all means, by any means possible, I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel. That doesn't mean he sinned to reach people. <clears throat> you can sin with them, but you don't, have, you don't sin with them. But Paul said, I, I have made myself a servant of everyone and, and found a way to, uh, to enter into their life, even though it's different than mine. Find a way to connect with them, whether it's weak or lawless or immoral people to come alongside of them, find a way to serve them that I might try to win them. And we, we typically kind of go to the gospel like the first thing that people hear. Maybe that's not the first thing they should hear from you. If they're going to die tonight, you better tell them. And I remember years ago, we first <clears throat> learned about witnessing. You may never see them again. So you say, if you're to die tonight to complete strangers... Well, that's normally not the best way to start with a stranger. Unless you're going to die tonight, then you probably better tell them. And I've done that. But maybe it's better to learn how to serve them and make yourself a servant of, of everyone and even those people that are different than you. To the Jew, to the weak, to the immoral, to never sin with them. And by all means, you didn't, but by any means possibly, man, I will, I, will, I will go to the extent of the law to identify with people and find a way to serve them. It's a different way of looking at reaching the lost. You have neighbors that you could serve. You, you could offer to bring them meals when they're sick, wash their kids <clears throat> when they have an appointment, offer them mow their lawn. I have a, a pastor friend of mine who has always had a heart for reaching lost people, but he did it primarily through big events at church, kind of event-driven evangelism. And over time, God taught him to connect with people on a personal level to be more effective at that. So it, 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 it caught with him. He said, you know, I have neighbors, and I have a garden, and I could bring them broccoli. And this is not who liked broccoli or not. Fill in what you like. <laughs> so he brought his neighbor broccoli just to say, I have a garden. And they took it. Why would they not take it? Unsafe people like broccoli. My point is they like things that we do. They're not that different. A lot of things, they're, they're more like us than we like to think. 
They like sports, and they like golf, and they like this, and like that. So he brings in broccoli, led to a Bible study where the husband got saved. He said, this is so cool. On a personal level versus a big event, he served them, and he won them. Paul said we should do that. And then he took it to a whole new level. He had a friend uh, who is an EMT and rides in an ambulance, trying to get certification. Now, I understand from what he told me, different levels of certification. One is you have to learn how to inject an IV in someone to be an EMT, and then do it while you're traveling in the ambulance. Ding, 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 all right? So he was having trouble. So my, my pastor friend, hey, just poke me till you get it. I'll ride along with you. I'm not that spiritual. <laughs> I'd be happy to bring broccoli, but not jab me till you get it. But he's serving him, and he made a friend with him that's still open. But if we're scared of sharing Christ, just learn to serve people. It will get you involved in people's lives. Find a way to find out what makes them tick and show them that you care about them as a person. Paul says, I do that that I might win them and see them saved, and maybe they they might save some of them. Maybe not all. And don't stop being their friend if they don't come to Christ. Don't use people like that. But we see them as lost, and we find a way to serve them, and we do it for the sake of the gospel. <clears throat> we have neighbors that own a Vietnamese restaurant. They're from mainland China, <clears throat> and they're very, very good at their restaurant. They know nothing about caring for a lawn. In our neighborhood, you better take care of your yard. It's just that the way it is. And, and they don't even like it. They take care of it, and they don't know how to do it, and so they let it grow and then just scalp it. Yeah. You know, you're, I'm talking like fairway-level grass. And they, they mowed it last week. It's the only brown lawn in our cul-de-sac because the sun just, I said, here they go, and they just scorched it. <clears throat> and last summer they did that, and then it got hot, and then, of course, you know what happens when it gets hot? All the weeds just go to town. The grass kind of goes dormant, the weeds go to town, they're completely infested with crabgrass, like the whole lawn with crabgrass, and I'm just going, these are my neighbors. And I did care about them, but I also cared about when they would mow along my yard line, you know, I would mow this and they would do this, and then that was, then they then they scalped my yard, that was it. <clears throat> I didn't respond the best all the time with that, to be honest with you. But about the third time, I said, I just need to help them. So I walked over and said, can I help you with your yard? And my attitude was actually good. It wasn't always good. And you would, you would know coming home, oh, they scalped the yard. They, oh, Tim's not going to handle this well. I'm, I'm being open here. I like keeping my yard looking nice. And they were scalping my yard. Just can't you mow a straight line? Just how hard is that? And I finally thought, I finally took pity, and I finally had compassion for them. I said, can I just help you? And they don't speak a lot of English. She said, I want my yard to look like your, your yard. Could you help? I said, sure. So I bought fertilizer and got it all fixed last winter, and it looks pretty good. They still cut it short, but it actually is real grass now. Tommy rains this spring, a little bit of fertilizer, a little bit of you know, going over to killing all the weeds, and it looks pretty good. I have helped them with their lawnmower, have helped them with their weed whacker, helped them with their... And I'm not mechanical, okay? I'm not the mechanical guy, but I'm their go-to mechanic. That's how bad they are. 
just a bolt on a lawnmower and a little weed whacker thing and the little dial on the refrigerator was I got that working properly. They came one time and said, is your water off? No, ours is. Well, they forgot to pay their bill. So here's the delinquent <laughs> bill. And so they didn't quite understand that we'll shut you so that we gave them five gallons of water to put in their stool so they could flush it. Can you say that on Sunday morning? Anyway, we gave them water. And so we are, we are now their friends. And we were invited to a Chinese New Year celebration at their restaurant, kind of a them and their friends, and we were there. It was an honor to be there. People said, oh, you're the neighbors. Going, oh, that had helped them. So they told their friends. They have Asian friends in one of our churches. Um, we introduced them to a piano teacher, a graduate of faith, who uh, is now the piano teacher for their kids. They came out of the, the campus at Faith for a recital. Surf recital, The History of the World, 11 minutes. That's a great recital. Five students, 11 minutes, done. That's like a model for recitals. <laughs> but now Kiki's on Faith Campus. Sandy's the Dean of Women, got the key card, and she's now seeing the campus for the first time. And so they go, let's go to the bookstore. Do you have something in Chinese here? So they found uh, a book in China, like, like, like a gospel book, and she said, oh, I have one of those. Our friends in AIM gave it. So she's getting the gospel and a gal from faith is teaching their kids. And where's it going to go? But I just want to serve them till God opens the door with them. We have a, a live-in house guest for a couple of months. He's heading to Taiwan for 12 months to, do, uh, to learn Mandarin Chinese, the government scholarship she's under, and so I want to introduce Kaylee to our neighbors because she's learning to speak their language. So find a way to serve people. Can, can, can all of us do that? Now, there's going to come a time when you have to talk about Jesus, but maybe that's down the road a bit. So see them as lost, find a way to serve them, and thoroughly spend time with them. It's kind of the same, but spend time with them. Jesus spent time with sinners. He was a friend of sinners. He went to their house. He went to Matthew's house, Zacchaeus' house. Uh, Peter went to Cornelius' house. Spend time with unsaved people. I'm a separatist. So am I. But that doesn't mean you don't spend time with lost people. You just don't sin with them. You can sit with them, but you don't sin with them. Some things you just can't do. But we can get close to them. And Jesus was rebuked for being a friend of sinners. Oh, he sits with sinners. He eats with them. Shame on him. No, good for him. And so we need to spend time with unsaved people. And you'll be surprised that they like a lot of things that we like. Find something in common you do with them. Find some way to spend time with them. Maybe just to talk about them. Our neighbor across the cul-de-sac uh, quit a job and bought a food truck. And his wife is from Hawaii. And uh, so they have invented uh, Iowa Grill. It's Hawaii backwards. It's I-A-H. You go like Iowa Grill. You kind of like a double take. And so she has like, like, like Hawaiian Polynesian pulled pork. It's really good stuff. So he's taking the risk of buying a food truck and ordering it from Georgia. So I'm asking him questions about his food truck, and they had a camper, so the camper. We have a camper, so something in common. They hunt turkeys, we hunt turkeys. So he gets his food truck, and the inspector's coming over. And, and here's, I work out of my house, and TJ's walking up to my house. And I think he's looking for me. I'm pretty smart that way. I think he's looking for me. So I got TJ. He said, I'm desperate. 
The inspector's here. I have to show him an RV hose. Just show him one. Do you have one? He said, oh, it's probably in your camper. I said, I'll go get it. So I drove to restore our camper, got the RV hose, handed him inside his thing, and he passed his certification with, so now I'm his hero because of an RV hose. He came asking me for one. He knew I might have one. So over time, I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm finding a way to spend time with him and show interest in his food truck. I went to where he served one afternoon to early on to just show encouragement. And all of us can do that. So find a way to serve them, spend time with them, just talking about spiritual things. Number four, be strategic. Be strategic, meaning we have to be purposeful. Jesus went where he went on purpose. In John chapter 4, he said, I must go through Samaria. I have to do, it was intentional. Now, Jews did not do that. They normally went around Samaria, right, to avoid all the Gentile, all the mixed race. But he went through there where nobody went because he purposed to do it. Went to the well, Jacob's well, where people gathered. He knew people would be there to have a conversation. It happened to be the woman, the woman at the well. He began a conversation with her. He said, um, if you were to die today, do you know if you go to heaven? No, he, he said, could you ask, could you give me a drink? And began a conversation. Let it talking about her sin and about him being the Savior, and she put her trust in him. And through her testimony, many men came to Christ that day. But he purposed to be there. He went where people went. Paul did that. He said, let's go down on the Sabbath day to the river because the Jewish women typically meet there. We're going to meet them there. So he went, that's where Lydia got saved. And we typically are not purposeful in this. We just go through life, and you and I get busy. We get caught up in the busyness of life, the routineness of life, and it happens to us too and just floats over the top. But we have to be strategic in how we're, where we're going to go, what we're going to say, who we want to reach. Have to be strategic. There's a couple of ladies in our church who were members of Anchor Baptist Church, formerly Grandview Park Baptist Church. And these couple of gals um, decided to have a burden for their neighbors. So they started a Christmas tea, led to a, like a weekly neighborhood Bible study. And one of them provided the home. The other one did the Bible lesson because they said that's what they're both good at. And from that came a gal that came to Christ years ago. And this, re this last year, through a Bible study that came from this Christmas tea, a 94-year-old gal put a trust in Christ. They're they did this for that purpose. They're strategic. And, and, and we need to be intentional. I know it's an overused word, but we have to be purposeful of where we're going to go, who we want to reach, what we're going to say, and what happens if they're interested? What will we say then? We need to, so what's your plan? I mean, not as a church, but as, as a person. What's your plan? Who are you trying to reach? I want to challenge you with that. And, and how would you start a conversation? What would you do if they're interested? You know, a bigger fear than rejection is if, is, is if they're interested. Ever thought about that? And you're Philip with the eunuch, and you're going, oh, he says, I need you to guide me, sit with me, I have questions. You're going, eh. I'm expecting rejection, you weirdo, you born-again people, and now God is working in his heart, and you will meet people like that. God's drawing to himself. You become the person that they want to have, because now they know someone who knows God, and you're that person. 
And, and God is drawing them, and you're the person he connected with them, and you better have a plan. And it may take some time to develop one. Over the years, we've, we've used John studies and tracks and our testimony and develop a set of questions to ask people. And you can learn to do that, and you just have to do it. But let's be strategic in purposefully trying to go where people are, find a way to, to get involved in their life and, be, and take initiative, make a connection with people, learn how to start a conversation. And here, here's kind of a free thing. Learn to ask people questions. If you're afraid of starting a conversation, just ask a question. Hey, where do you work? What do you like to do when you're not working? Where did you live? Where were you born? Um, I, I, in fact, we, we, have, we were dental orphans for a while. You ever been a dental orphan? We lived in Carroll for 24 years. We still went up there every, every year a couple times. I have 10 crowns in my mouth from Dr. Eichstein up there. I only trusted him with my... I mean, the, the song, Crown with Many Crowns, takes on new meaning for me with 10 crowns in my mouth. Anyway, so we go to Carroll, and we want to have a relationship with our dentist, and he retired, and, and we were told we were done. And I said, what do you mean we're done? We don't have you just kicking. We were dental orphans. <laughs> and so we found a place in Ankeny, and we went there for the first time Thursday. Had a good experience, accommodating and friendly and, and new people. They don't have a, a window I can look out. I'll have to get over that part. I love looking out the window. Forget about the TV, just the window. So I talk with Kayla, and I say, Kayla, do you happen to have a church home? I've gone times that I've never done. I thought, why can't I? What's, what do I have to lose? She said, I don't. I said, I have a suggestion for you. Live in Ankeny? Yep. I said, how about Community of Aptitures, Pastor Sean Lumberg? They'd love to have you there. Told her where it was. She said, and she wrote it down. I don't know what's going to happen, but that was, in a moment, I was strategic. And I'm not as much as I should be, but in that moment, I said, I'm going to ask her a question. Do you happen to have a church home? And you know what she said? I don't, but I've been kind of looking. When you ask people questions, you, 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 you don't sound preachy. You show that you care. You find out where they are, and it leads to other things. And, and when, when Philip ran to the eunuch, he didn't say, if you were to die, he said, do you understand what you're reading? So the question fits the context. And so learn to take initiative in asking people questions leading them to the gospel. What would you do after you shared the gospel? How would you make a gospel appeal? What would you say after they put their trust in Christ? Learn how to do that. Your pastors can help you. We have to be strategic and purposeful like Jesus was. Number five, and we're moving along here, number five. Uh, you have to share Christ with them. Eventually, you have to share Christ with them. So he shared the gospel. He did that with the woman at the well. We have to share Christ with them. At some point, the gospel relationships, we want them to lead to sharing Christ with them if God opens the door. And when we do that, we have to make sure that we are clear. We need to be clear in presenting the gospel. The gospel isn't, I prayed and got saved. There, no elements of the gospel are, now I maybe understand what you mean by that, but the gospel, you have to talk about sin, have to talk about Christ, have to talk about saving faith. And you have to be clear in presenting the gospel. We have to be also patient. I, I suppose that you were saved the first time you heard the gospel, and neither was I. You don't say, yeah, why don't you get it? So you just pray harder. 
and to be patient. God is patient toward us, not when any should perish, but all come to repentance. This may take some time. It took seven years for our taxidermist to get saved, seven years. Bringing up turkey fans all the time, and that was our connection with him, and little bits, tidbits here and there. He often do a full body amount for us at some point. He became a friend of ours. And then his second wife was leaving him, and he had Lyme disease, and that was the open door. You have to be patient with people. There are going to be disappointments. Not everyone's going to be interested. Paul said, I might save some. We started studies with people that they just ended, and your heart breaks, and they walk away. God may use someone else another time. We have to be patient. And we have to be confident in sharing Christ. We don't apologize for the gospel. The word witness in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, means to speak with confidence, without apology, what we know to be true by experience. We speak with confidence, not cockiness, but I, I know that Jesus saves those that call upon him. Is that true? That God uses his word to bring about a new birth? That Christ is building his church and working in the hearts of people. Is he drawing people to himself? So I preach with confidence. Uh, he told us he'd be with us till the end of the age, empower us with his Holy Spirit, that whoever comes to him, he will never cast out. So we're looking for ways to lead to a sharing Christ with people. I spoke at a couple of camps before we went on vacation uh, the last two weeks in Wisconsin. Uh, one at family camp, one at our camp, and one at Whispering Cedars in Nebraska. I'm not betraying our fellowship. I'm not presenting our fellowship, right? Um, so we, we were in a, like a duplex cabin thing with a couple next to us that was completely dysfunctional. Husband and wife with three or four, four kids, completely off the rail, undisciplined, meaning, meaning untrained. No, no social graces, no civilized manners, and, and just pouty and manic, just all over the map, and they're our neighbors for the week. Oh, lucky us. Yay. And you know, what, you know where they sat? Right here, and every time I spoke, they're sitting like the second row, and with, with a, a baby stroller here with the kid playing the game but throwing the sippy cup on the floor. You know, you know it's a game when they keep doing it. So they're taking away the kid given to him. And one of the kids walked up in front and all just completely said, just sit in the back. <laughs> so every morning, they're right there. And I had to get over that. And, just, and I, I did. I got past it and just preached and proclaimed and taught. Um, but it was really annoying and very distracting. They're completely dysfunctional. She grew up in a foster home. They had a just really not a, and I understood why life was hard for them. But by Thursday, she wanted to talk with us. And so she arranged with her husband to meet with us after the evening service on Thursday. So we sat on the porch outside their chapel and just waited, and nobody came. So how long do you wait? We just waited. Pretty soon, he kind of walks over with the baby stroller, kind of sheepishly, and walks up and says, winter is not coming tonight. She set up the meeting, right? Why would you do that? So we just said, okay. Then she's texting him, and pretty soon she kind of walks over, hanging her head, and she joins him. And so they're there. And so we got talking about things, and I said, you know, Winter, tell us, have you accepted Christ? She said, yeah, tell us, what, tell us what happened when you were saved. So she went back, and she said, you know, I don't really understand what I did. I have no idea what I did. I don't know what that means. So we share, I've been going through the John studies every morning was what I taught them. 
So every day, with all this distraction, she gave him the gospel every day for four days. And she was absorbing it. I had no idea. She said, you preach, but you don't preach, but you teach. I understand it. And I'm hanging on every word. I said, wow. With all that distraction, she was hanging on every word. I said, do you understand the gospel now? And we, we reviewed it. And she said, yes. I said, just tell God you're trusting Jesus. And she did. And they have a lot of work to do. But she calmed down. There was a brightness in her eyes. And we shared Christ with her. And God opened her heart to the gospel on the porch when she wasn't going to come. So be patient with people. And I got over my frustration, asked God to forgive me, and just preached and taught anyway. And God saved winter on that Thursday night. So we, we need to share Christ. And the last one is we seek God for them. And this is, Jesus ends with the solution to the labor shortage, right? He said, the harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. And that's still true even today. A plentiful harvest, people getting saved all over the place. But very few work. This is not primarily an appeal for missionaries. Huh, can I say that? It's a classic missions conference passage. It's okay to make an application, but it's not talking to missionaries or even pastors. About you and I, workers. They go into the harvest field and share Christ with you and work at it and pray God will use us. We are desperately in need of more workers to bring Christ to people. Every church needs more workers. So it's not just an appeal for missionaries or for pastors, but you and I to do the work of ministry of bringing the gospel to people. So we pray and we seek God for them. We pray for more workers. We pray for Paul like boldness and clarity and open door for the gospel. Paul prayed that people would pray for him, that God would give him free course. He'd have clarity, that he would have boldness when he speaks. Paul prayed for boldness. Maybe that's why he was bold. And people prayed for him. We pray for open door, for wisdom in working with people, when to press, when to back off, when to develop a friendship, when to share Christ with them. Because God is working, we have to know what he's doing. So we pray. Of course we pray. I mean, God uses us as redeemed sinners to be the bringers of the gospel. But God has to work. He has to open their heart. He has to give them understanding and, and quicken their spirit and bring conviction. Because you and I can't do that. So we go and we work hard and we pray hard that God would send workers and open doors for us and bring people to him. And so we seek God for them. We intercede for them, bring them to the throne of grace and pray for them. So here's my challenge to you today, beyond all of this, that you would be resolved to be a witness for Jesus, to be a worker for him. And see people as lost and spend time with them and find a way to serve them and, and, uh, spend, and share Christ with them and seek God for them. That you'd be resolved to do that, begin to do those things that you and I could do. But in light of this last point, I'm going to finish up this quickly. That as you pray for people, pray for people by name specifically if you can. Make a list of a half a dozen people that you know or could get to know and pray for them and bring them to prayer meeting and have people pray for them by name, at least their first name. I don't know what your church is like. We've been in a lot of churches and on Wednesday nights sometimes and they have laundry lists of things to pray for and maybe a token pray for the lost, but rarely names of people that I want to see saved. We'll list everybody else's name and all those are genuine needs and I'm getting older and I have a need that's kind of 
bugging me a little bit. If you could pray for my need, that would be great. And we ought to pray for needing a job and, and for medical needs, financial needs, but why are we not praying for lost people by name? And, and, and just bring up my, my neighbor, my neighbor TJ. I don't know where to go with the food truck thing. Just pray that I know what to do, what to say to him, open the door for him. Ask, I just pray for, and pray for my, my lawnmower fixer guy. I need to get a hold of Drew and, and have him fix my mower, repair my mower. I just pray for Drew. And bring that to prayer meeting, and it keeps in front of you, I have people I'm investing in, and pray for them by name. If I was to pastor again and lead a prayer meeting, I would say every fifth prayer request has to be about a person who needs Jesus. We don't, we don't continue. And force us to keep that in front of us. If the gospel is a priority, if the, if the mission is our mission, why are we not praying for that and keeping it in front of us? And I'll tell you, you begin to pray for people in person, you, see, you begin to see God work. It's amazing to watch. So pray for people by name. And say, and you say, I don't know, well, pray, I don't know how to start a conversation with my neighbor, Sarah. She's kind of prickly. I don't know what to do, Lord. Help me to give me an open door with her. Could you pray that way? Of course you could. And begin to pray for people by name. So let's resolve by the grace of God to be workers and pray that God would send workers and begin to do these things like Jesus did to bring the gospel to people. To the ministry of the people of this church. Father, we commit to you our witnessing. Help us to be faithful witnesses for Jesus, to lost people, help them to love them like he loved them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.